latest episode of the Maven's Havens podcast brought to you by Vibal Energy Tea, uh, bringing you good vibes and uh, energy and balance um, with plenty of caffeine, only three grams of sugar and no artificial flavors. Um, with me today is uh, another uh, food entrepreneur and maven, Robert Petrarca, um, who is um, the founder of a company, Maxine's Heavenly Cookies um, and other baked goods. Um, I think that's right, Robert, but he can correct me in a moment. But um, in any event, it's great to have you here. Really appreciate you sitting down to tell me more about your business and entrepreneurial journey. Thanks, Eric. Great to be here. I'm happy to join you. So, yeah, that having been said, um, I really would, um, and I'm sure the audience would love to know uh, more about Maxine's Heavenly. Why don't you uh, kind of take it from the top and tell us um, what it is you're doing? Sure. Yeah. So we created a company, Maxine's Heavenly. Uh, it's Maxine. It's based on uh, a real person named Maxine, my co-founder's mother. She was a you know, 1950s housewife, uh, had a recipe for a decadent, delicious cookie that was not in any way good for you so <laughs> refined sugars and flours and you know uh crisco and butter i think it actually had both legitimately the original recipe but it was this nice uh homemade style oat-based cookie very american style like very soft baked cookie like when you think of when you're making like a toll house style cookie at home and uh the problem was over time this was you know it's linked to a lot of family memories a lot of good shared experiences and this like beloved recipe that became iconic in the family and in circles of friends but over time it just stopped representing the values in food um as they continue to evolve so uh all right, my co-founder Tim and I uh, went through this dilemma of, okay, do you abandon that recipe and all the memories associated with it, or can you take an opportunity, be opportunistic and adapt it for today and today's food values? So we had this fun, very long experiment, kind of substituting all those bad for you ingredients I just mentioned, one by one with better for you alternatives, and kind of just said, hey, what's important to us from a health perspective? Really did a lot of deep diving into like, what what is at the forefront of nutrition these days? Um, and ultimately landed on a recipe that we felt like emulated and represented that original decadent experience that felt and tasted like a homemade style cookie that you would pull out of your own oven, but reflected all of the things that were important to us from a health standpoint. So what that meant is for us, it was plant-based and gluten-free, but most importantly, I think most uniquely in the category for us is that we sweeten, uh, well, we, we say sweeten by nature. Uh, so we don't use any refined sugar and we sweeten with uh, coconut sugar and dates, which are inherently lower glycemic index uh, sugar. So you don't have that sugar spike in the crash that you tend to have with most sugary dessert treats. Um, so it's a more sustained energy. Uh, if you can eat an entire bag of Maxine's Heavenly and maybe you, you, you're like a little too full, but you're not going to feel like you want to die. Like if you ate an entire sleeve of Oreos or something like that. So anyway, so that's uh, so that, that's we landed on that final recipe. Um, it was really important to us that it felt like that original recipe, that it would feel to us as those cookies felt when Maxine would bake a tray and give them to somebody on a special occasion or at a birthday or something like that. Um, so we think that th those two things really differentiate us. One, that when you go to the grocery aisle, it's going to taste like it came out of your kitchen, that it came out of a bakery, that it's fresh baked, it's not processed. Most cookies in the, in the, on the shelf taste um, like they, were, they come off a production line. Ours taste like they came out of a kitchen. Um, that's one. And then two, it's the cleanest, healthiest cookie on the market, especially in that 
in regard to uh, sugar and uh, unrefined sugars. Oh man, a sleeve of Oreos! Like it makes me sick just thinking about it. <laughs> I know, I know. It's it's well, you know, it's it's empty calories, right? Which is a big. I think it's a big conversation. You, it's like we, we learn the importance of that. So it, it's it's a it, yes, how many calories you eat is important, but the quality of those calories and what's in them is important. Um, so when you when you take and this is our whole conversation around sugar constantly. When you take something like sugar cane, um, which has fiber and nutrient micronutrients and things like that and you strip away all of those fibrous elements and you keep boiling it down to the simplest form of sugar you're really subtracting it from its original form in nature and i think nature kind of intends for you to have sugars that are delivered with fiber and other things so that it metabolizes in a way that sustains the body without making it go through these peaks and valleys um, but we've done this great job in the systems of food of stripping things out for either for visual effect or for ease or for price or whatever else inform those decisions um, but they do have consequences on the body. So, so empty, you know, empty calories is something we talk about. It's like 120 calories of Maxine's Heavenly is very different than 120 calories of Oreos. Um, and, uh, and then just making sure that it's the, the ingredients are as close to nature as possible. That's our motto. Sure. No, it sounds like um, the, uh, synthesizing a new kind of baked goods um, business model here, one that captures the kind of a homey, nostalgic, um, uh, homey, you know, nostalgic feel, I guess for lack, uh, it's a, a better way to describe it is escaping me right now, but that, uh, you know, all, all those feelings of, you know, mom's delicious recipe, exactly. yeah. you know, the feelings of family togetherness that come yeah. with it, but updated for a 21st century palette that, um, is, that watches for things like sugar and um you know uh, sugar rushes sugar crash and of course people who are considerate of their weight and overall health yeah. and um yeah sounds like um you know a bunch of unique challenges in there that i would definitely like to touch on but based on everything you described especially you know you kind of you mentioned systems of food it seems like you take a very systematic approach to things which makes me feel like and i, I haven't done too much delving into your background because i wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about it but it sounds like you've got like a food-based background maybe you learned some food science or you've worked <laughs> in the food industry so could you touch on uh, maybe your background and what led you to uh getting involved in this business yeah well i'm glad that i've convinced you of that because i actually don't have any background in food whatsoever until this company um so this is i mean this is my second uh startup that i've been involved in I, previously i was actually in the nonprofit space and co-founded um, an organization that was in northern california but um i migrated to food because it's always been very important to me so i you know i've been a vegetarian vegan for 20 one years at this point i've probably tried every diet fad that's come and gone over the years you know it's like i was the first to be into agave syrup and then the first to be like no agave is horrible for you all these you know it's like all the micro nuances of the the health movements so it's always been important to me um so i think i kind of inherited just experiences of like always shopping the grocery I, I love going to grocery stores i love like figuring out what's what's new in the food world so there's a passion for that but i will say over the years, I feel like I've gotten sort of a food science background, a, a food science crash course, I would say, um, just because there's uh, baking really is, I mean, it's a lot of chemistry and science. And you talk th about things like water activities and moisture levels, and and you're, you're really looking at how things interact and, and even systems of how in what sequence you order 
um, mixing and, and, and baking uh, can affect what kind of final product you have. And that was a hard lesson at first. So we had this, like, you know, we landed on this cookie recipe that was awesome. Uh, and was like, oh, this is pretty easy. Like, uh, you know, we just like did these substitutes and it's perfect. And we had this delicious cookie that was delicious for about one week. And then it was so hard that it, you could either use it as a hockey puck or a lethal weapon. I mean, it would just like dry out and crumble. And you're like, okay, this is like completely the opposite from what it tasted like seven days ago. So understanding how uh, you, you then sort of get an appreciation. Oh, this is how the food industry has evolved. It's like it was solving challenges, right? So either food shortages or scaling up to meet population demands or and shelf life and distribution. I mean, that's something that people don't think about. It's like there's a whole system of how food gets to the grocery aisle and it involves co-manufacturers and bakeries and distributors and warehouses and all these processes. Um, and so if you have to survive that system, you have to be able to last longer than a week. And really you have to be able to last six to 12 months, like realistically to, to compete in that arena. Um, and then you start understanding why people put in additives into food and why there are preservation methods um, to make things last longer. And so then there's a whole set of inherent challenges of how do you accomplish that without sacrificing the promise, which is like the quality of the ingredients and saying, I'm not adding fillers, I'm not adding additives. Um, so we had to learn a lot about like, how do you, how, like what ingredients can you use to preserve the integrity of a product over time without sacrificing, you know, the fundamental beliefs of your business. It's challenging. Yeah, sure. Sounds like it. Um, I mean, it's um, uh, your background is definitely really fascinating because like I was saying before, like you kind of pointed out, I can I was convinced you have a formal food science background, but really you just have <laughs> you have uh, more like uh, as a food scientist, your experience all comes from the field, so to speak, yeah. um, not I'm in street, the lab. I'm street smart, not book smart, <laughs> <laughs> which is just as good. Um, but, you know, and it, I, I like the kind of, meta, uh, you know, the metaphor of uh, baking as science because, um, you know, you're, you're almost kind of like, a, you know, a lab geek in the lab coat, um, you know, mixing chemicals and stuff to make food. Right. So in a way, it's it's kind of like chemistry. So yeah, um, maybe I'm talking out of my ass, but <laughs> no, 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 it is. It is true. And, you know, one other thing is I've had the the uh, luxury in being able to work with some really fantastic food scientists. So, you know, I worked with someone who was a gen he was food scientist at General Mills for many, many years and brought sort of a conventional approach to food science that was meaningful because you can understand some things. Worked to, uh, some, with some people as contractors from some big natural food businesses who brought a different perspective and you know it's interesting you could talk to a conventional food scientist and they'd be like you know what's what like they, they'd have they'd be like what's coconut nectar you know they have never used it because it's just not a commercially well used or often used product um, but then you could be talking to somebody in the natural food industry and they're like yeah of course coconut nectar you know so it we've i've had a broad range of experiences with um, various food scientists in different industries and they've imparted a lot of wisdom to me and it's like i think i've always been i well, I was quickly fascinated with it and I appreciated the process of learning. And so I have to thank them really for that, that journey, but I've been lucky to do that. I, I, I don't, I couldn't have figured it all out myself. There's only so much you can Google and the rest you, you rely on other people's experiences where they've failed and succeeded and they kind of impart that wisdom on you and help you progress. 
I think you make an excellent point uh, there that I'd like to highlight the importance of surrounding yourself with a variety of experiences and a well and a wide ranging team so that everyone can fill in each other's knowledge gaps and blind spots. Yeah. No matter how smart you are, 21 years of being a vegan and being on top of all the you know food um, trends and stuff is still not enough to know everything, especially in a world that um, I didn't realize until you pointed out could be so challenging. So yeah. um, it's, you, you're definitely very fortunate um to have found such a team and to understand the importance of doing so i think definitely i think you know i def i think here in this in this well in the world all over we like we like to idolize the people sort of at the top who you know sort of are the leaders and it's it's important leadership is important but it's like any smart leader understands like you have it, it's a team you cannot i actually have experienced in some pat in some past experiences in startup world places where the, the leadership wasn't willing to sort of relinquish parts of control or or trust other people um, to scale the business with them and give them true responsibility. And you see that with founders, founders who've had to touch everything, being very hesitant to transfer that power over to people. But you cannot, I mean, you can only grow a business to the extent of the amount of work one person can do if everything boils down to one person having to authorize control every facet of the business. So if you want to really scale a business and grow it, you, you have to bring other people in and who those people are and how you empower them to make decisions and how you become more of a guiding light for versus a authority, authoritative personality, um, I think makes or breaks the differences or makes or breaks uh, the business and, and really indicates the direction the business will go. Yeah, very well said. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, as a leader, you can't possess the depth of skill and knowledge to, on everything a business needs. And you don't have enough hours in the day or enough energy. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. that's what executive leadership is, really. It, it, it's overseeing and finding the right people to make the various functions of the business work. And it sounds like you've understood that from a very early stage, which means you won't you know, have that kind of problem of founder doing everything. Well, I definitely, I mean, I definitely had the, uh, the benefit, the great benefit of seeing that in a past life before I entered Maxine's, right? So I had the experience of watching other people do that and go, ooh, that's, I can see where that leads to and I can see the limitations that mentality has. And so it's been, you know, a priority for me to not move in that same direction. I, it's like, I don't think I've ever been like ex exceptional at, at, at any one thing, but I, what I feel like I'm really good at is is learning very quickly and picking up what's around in my environment and going, oh, I see that, I see that, and then bringing those things together. So that's kind of my leadership skill. It's like, I, I wish I was like a savant at one thing, but I think that I can get very smart or very well knowledge and a lot of different things and and I'm good at kind of bringing those things those ideas together and making them work together that's great you're acting like a sponge and um you know being cognizant i think of your um not just your skills but also your limitations which is important to um you know building that organization and not being um the founder that is kind of the weak link in the chain as those um, founders who are a bit too hands-on often end up being so um yeah that's that's great experience to relate um, you know, we've touched on some of the challenges um, you've experienced, and there's definitely um, some profound ones. 
I can see in there. After all, so many people load things with sugar because it's like that's the quickest, easiest path towards good tasting food that people are going to come back for more. And so um, finding a recipe with these all natural plant based ingredients that, um, you know, don't damage people's health, while also um, resisting the temptation um, to cut corners so you can hang in there and really uh, grow the brand and the customer following are profound challenges. But I really kind of want to hear from you. What do you consider to be the greatest challenge you face or some of the greatest challenges if you want to touch on a few and what you did to kind of or are still doing to overcome them? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think every phase of the business has different sets of challenges. Um, you know, I can speak a lot to the startup phases. I mean, I was I've been involved in this business since the very beginning, from formulating to, you know, the years of deliver hand delivering stores, to, hand delivering product to stores in our region. Um, you know, to just selling at farmers markets to now working with the biggest retailers in the country like Whole Foods and Walmart. Um, so I've seen like all the different trajectories and I've touched all the points to scale us up at some degree, even if I don't handle those things now. Um, so I would say at every level, there are different sets of challenges, but I think in the early stage, which I think is the most interesting to a lot of people, uh, when you don't have resources, the challenge is like being hyper-focused, right? Like it, you can see, you'll always see in your mind's eye what the business looks like when you have all the resources in the world and when things are perfect. But the reality is they're almost never perfect along the way. And so if you create these sort of delusions of operating like a business that's five years from where, where you are today, then it's it's unrealistic and it's likely it's distracting you from, from really accomplishing one success and building off that success. And I think the things that I've learned the most is like it's very critical to to understand what you where you want to go but how you build one component today and master it and then create that as a base and 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 build layers on top of that and so it often means unfortunately rejecting a lot of things that that feel very important in the moment but cannot be supported i mean i cannot tell you the number of marketing initiatives that my marketing director and i have come up with that it's like oh this is brilliant and then we've tried to execute it without enough resources. And then it, a brilliant idea becomes like a, ver a very mediocre executed um, action. And it doesn't help actually progress the business in any meaningful way. And maybe the time would have been better spent less focused on that. And, uh, you know, building a core audience base first before you try to like suddenly have this fantastic piece of content or, or marketing initiative, you know. So it's like understanding like what pieces are the first pieces and what pieces are the following pieces and it it's a it's a discipline and it's really really hard and we don't get it right every time like there are often times we don't get it right and we get so we get we fall into that temptation and we're 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 looking down the road before we're dealing with today and i think that's that's probably really important you have to you have to understand what are realistically the number of people i have in my corner resources are as we know time, money. I mean, it's, it's, it's not in, in, in people, it's not just um, money, right? So it's like realistically understanding what resources things are going to take to execute and being very, very strategic about where you put those resources when they are severely limited. Um, in, a, in a best case scenario, it's, it's a great opportunity to learn how to be super creative. Um, in a worst case scenario, it's just a nightmare where you're, you're constantly distracted by things that you can't do. Um, and you're not making any meaningful steps forward in evolving or growing the business. So if I'm understanding you right, it sounds like it's a, you think it's important to really focus on what's right in front of you. 
um, rather than try to take on uh, you know a million different things that you understand could be uh, valuable or important at some point and really just kind of focus on the here and now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a little bit of both, right? Because you can't focus on the here and now without understanding how that how that leads to two years down the line, three years down the line, four years down the line. You have to have a vision and idea for what where things are going, but you have to be focused on executing for today. And so I think there's some great quote about that that I'll, I, I'm not even going to pretend I know who said, but something about like it's like a north star, right? So that you you generally know what direction you're heading, but the path you take um, varies. And so you, you focus on like navigating that path today, but always stopping every once in a while to look up where is that North Star and am I heading in the general right direction? So I think that's, that's kind of, and it's a balance. I mean, it's very hard and there's a million ways you'll go off on a path that doesn't make sense and you're lost and you have to stop, look back up, where's the North Star, get myself back to the path. I mean, it makes, it makes a lot of sense and, and it's, it's uh, entrepreneurship and starting a business is not clean. It's not easy. And I think you always have this envisioned grander moment where, where everything's perfect and operating perfectly. And you look toward other companies who may be further along than you and you go, oh, they're, they've got it all together. But it's like the reality is there are challenges at every stage and you're always going to a destination that you'll never get to. Um, it's always about you know, navigating to that thing that you'll never really attain, but you're always taking steps closer to it. And enjoying the journey then. That's um, yeah. obviously you got to if uh, the destination's always a bit elusive. But um, I guess- it, you'll go crazy too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, definitely, it'll drive you mad. But it does kind of sound like a good way to, if I want to paraphrase, would be um, you know to focus on executing and doing the here and now with us with your eyes um, focused on the future on that vision you mentioned and how and the being, here and now is going to get you there. Yeah, being realistic about what you can accomplish with the resources you have in your corner. I'd say the other thing that I've I've learned too is that you can't be too reactive to individual moments. This is I mean this is my personal lesson, my experience. So whether it resonates with anyone or not, this. For me, a, a learning lesson was, um, you know, you cannot be reactive to every challenge that comes because they're just going to constantly be a barrage of challenges. And if everything becomes the most important, most dire thing, that you're just going to sink under the stress and you're going to, you know, be paralyzed with with fear and 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 anxiety um, because there are a lot of things as it relates to capital, as it relates to, to, to failures, to, to bad execution, to, those things are going to happen regardless. And so having, not being reactive as they happen, but saying, okay, accepting them, you know, thinking about them, letting your process your emotions and then moving forward accordingly. Like once you've had time to sort of process it, that's been a, a great learning lesson for me. I think I was too wound up in the beginning about, you know, anything that happened. So now today it's like, I'm not always perfect at it, but like when challenges come, I try to be like, okay, let's not, you know, this is not the, the, the end of the world every single time. Let's just like, let, let the experience pass through and figure out how we, how we get out of it. That's a great perspective to have as someone who's acquainted with um, anxiety and, um, you know, seeing, a, you know, a new challenge or a curveball or something like that. And, uh, you know, automatically being concerned about it, I can definitely say that's a great perspective to have. So good for you. Oh, thanks. I, again, like I only say this because it's been a challenge for me. And also, like, I, I'm not 
like any, I'm not perfect. I, I fail at it all the time and then have to relearn the lesson over and over. But it's something that I, yeah, I keep coming back to that's important to me. Yeah, and that's part and parcel of the journey. I mean, I, I suspect no one's really ever perfect at that. Just kind of like how you're not ever perfect at anything, but you um, you learn to manage the best you can. You make it manageable and you're able to continue to make progress forward in spite of the challenges that continue to arise. So, um, cool. All right. I, I appreciate the perspective. Um, I, I want to uh, maybe switch tacks here a bit. Um, something a little more pleasant, I, I suppose you could say. What um, If you had to pick something or a few somethings that are your favorite thing about um, striking out on your own, well, not necessarily with your own, you got a co-founder, but um, as an entrepreneur, I mean, what do you, what do you really love about it? What's, where do you uh, find your passion fulfilled? Yeah. I mean, in the best moments, it's the best. It is the best. It is. Uh, it's everything that you th think it can be. In that, um, <clears throat> you have autonomy. You know, you're sort of controlling your own destiny. You can shape um, a business to match the things you believe in, and surround yourself with people who are aligned with those values. Um, you know, it's uh, there's a great. It's a, in it, like I said, in its best moments, it's it's the best thing it could possibly be. Like. But it is, uh, uh, you know, it's it's specific. It's like you have to, are you an entrepreneur or not? It's like you have to be not just mesmerized about all the great things, but can you also ha handle all the challenges and the responsibility? Because with that autonomy comes a great sense of responsibility. At the end of the day, it all stops at you always on everything, you know, and that's a lot of pressure. And you can't always, um, oh, am I freezing? No, you look fine. Oh, okay. Um, so, you know, you it's it's not like you can ever, once you start a, a, um, a business, it's sort of like having a, a dog or a child that doesn't grow up. Like you, you always have it and you're always managing it always, you know, there is, and then there becomes little separation between you and the business, you know? So I'd say all the things that can be viewed as challenges and stresses are also the same things that make it one of the most remarkable experiences, which is, you know, like I said, autonomy, control, you're defining your own destiny, impacting. Uh, and when you're in an industry you believe in, like I think natural foods is like a fantastic industry filled with people who like saw a broken food system, wanted to change it, created this whole industry that's constantly pulling money from conventional grocery. You know, it's like you have people who who start companies based on ideas and, and love and, and beliefs and values. And that's really super cool. So when you're in an industry like that, it's like it, you can feel really motivated to be like, I'm, I'm doing something that feels meaningful to me and feels impactful to individual people, to the future of food, to the future of our world and society. And so like, what's What's better than that? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I've I've spoken to so many people, entrepreneurs, who will say who compare having um, a business, their own business, to a kid, to a you know family, <laughs> basically themselves, the parents of a sort. So you know, it's an apt metaphor because you gotta love it as much as anything, no matter how much it makes you want to tear your hair out, right? Well, not yeah, your yeah. hair. You still got all your hair, but um, you know what I mean. Metaphor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's um, cool. No, it's, um, sounds, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's really, you know, not completely linear, right? It's peaks and valleys. Um, mm -hmm. And so you got to be able to, uh, I think a friend of mine once put it, ride the wave, so to speak. Um, yeah. uh, but not just. Yeah, you uh, could try to 
fight the wave or you can ride the wave and like it's a lot easier if you just ride the wave because there's only so much control you can have but i would say you know the other thing too is the the people right um i think uh being an entrepreneur if you're if you make an active effort you can meet just the most remarkable people you meet other founders you're constantly sort of recruiting for your business and key positions you're meeting investors um, and it opens up this whole network of people that if, if you really try to expand who's in your circle, you can do it pretty quickly. And, and uh, it's it's amazing. You, you run into a lot of different people, a lot of different experiences, and you, you sort of grow together. So it's a community. Well, I love the sound of that. I mean, that's kind of what I'm doing here, right, is I'm, you know, networking with all kinds of great founders, learning about a whole, like, uh, I think through this medium, telling a lot of great stories. So um, sure. what you just described definitely appeals to me a yeah. lot. Um, I have, I definitely have a question I'm curious about. Of all the cookies you make, um, do you have a favorite one that you're, um, that you particularly like? I, I mean, I rotate through flavors. I mean, uh, so I have, it's like, I, I will fall in love with a flavor and then fall in love with the next flavor and then come back to the original flavor. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a chocolate chip kind of person. So I, I live for our, our double chocolate cookies and I love taking those and slathering them with like peanut butter or almond butter or something. It's just absolutely delicious. Um, and we have, uh, but we do have a new, so we have, we introduced last year four new flavors, two seasonal and two everyday flavors. We have a new flavor coming out um, next week and uh, we're looking at a secondary line um, in the cookie world that's going to be coming out later in the year. So really excited about kind of like what's in the pipeline um, and what we've come out with in the last six to eight months. You know, I almost regretted asking you that question after I did because I felt I'm like, wait a minute, we were just talking about how his business is like, you know, children. I feel like I almost asked you, to <laughs> you tell asked me, me what's your favorite. favorite? Yeah, yeah, what's your favorite kid? Um, yeah. But uh, your man, I after all my, I love all my children the same. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but you're a man after my own heart. I love chocolate too. So you're saying uh, the double chocolate chip, would that be kind of your recommendation if I were getting started? Definitely. Definitely. And it's also our number one skew. So um, chocolate sells, it's interesting. Uh, chocolate always sells the best, peanut butter second. And, and it doesn't matter any retailer we launch in, it always falls that way. It's chocolate one, peanut butter two. Interesting. I wonder if that uh, if that trend will continue to hold. Uh, it'll be uh, fun to see, like what as you expand into new markets, new channels, and stuff like that. If that trend continues to hold, but in your experience, it's been pretty consistently number one, so, number two. Yeah, I think people just like chocolate for whatever reason. So, and then interesting, there there is this cohort of people who don't like chocolate, which I completely cannot understand, but. Um, we even have a no chocolate bundle on our website for those those people. Um, I'll never relate to them, but I respect them, and uh, I'm glad that they have an option. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand them either, but you know, different strokes for different folks, I guess. Um, you know what I mean? Just uh, <laughs> be respectful of each other's differences, I guess. Is the world takes many colors, exactly, exactly. That's a nice right lesson on. too, by the way. It's like you know, it's not just the world, but in the business too. Like, I think it's important to be aligned in core values. That's like so critical. Um, but ultimately, like, yeah, you have to have people around you who have different opinions, and that's a good thing. And it's hard. It's very easy to say that people are so. I found this as an entrepreneur. So people are so 
good at creating uh, values and value statements and not great at living up to those value statements because uh, usually poetic words are a lot easier to write than they are to live by. And uh, that's uh, I've seen that a lot, unfortunately. That doesn't come as much of a surprise, to be quite honest. I mean, maybe because uh, you're telling it to me and we, I guess, both have the benefit of hindsight. But imagine what the world would be like if everyone really lived up to ideals they profess. I mean, no, no one actually comes out and says, like, I'm a dirtbag. But um, obviously, such people do exist. So um, I guess it's not uh, totally strange to see that so, what so, the ideals, the values some people profess are a bit incongruous with how they actually behave. Yeah. And I don't think it's always so maniacal, like someone being like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to create a value statement and then purposely not live by it. I think it's actually the reality is like people people don't realize the work that goes into them and they they're they're OK to cut corners as it relates to what they want to stand for. You know, and again, I'm not saying I'm I'm perfect. Like, I think that um, I, I have probably failed in our value statements many times along the way. And I think the difference. Well, I think that. I think the, the way to sort of stand out from that is to kind of learn from that and figure out how you improve or to call yourself out on it. Right. It's like, or to not be afraid if somebody calls you out on it. And I think that's, uh, that's a lot harder. I mean, that takes a lot of emotional intelligence and self-awareness to go. Yeah. You know, I, I if I'm going to create a value statement, if I don't live up by it, up to it, somebody on my team calling me out for it makes a lot of sense and i need to be okay to take that criticism so it's interesting because a lot of leaders you you need a little bit of an ego you need a little bit of like an arrogance to survive growing a business but then the best ones also find a humility and it's just rare it's really hard it's really hard it's a challenge yeah, that's a that's a very sobering perspective you offered. I uh, honestly should probably walk back maybe my earlier statement just a little bit. It was probably a bit harsh. Um, I think most people do, in fact, when crafting a value statement or stating their personal values, they're probably doing so, um, you know, honestly with what they believe. But then a lot of the times you find when uh, it goes to practice, reality sets in. It's a bit different yeah. than you anticipated. And so totally. the the right thing to do is kind of what you described, continue to make a good faith effort to accept constructive criticism and to improve in an uh, ongoing effort to live up to those um, value statements. And we probably shouldn't judge people too harsh for not being able to do that immediately. Yeah, yeah you hold them, you should hold people accountable, I think, but um, yeah, but I think you're right. You don't wanna just judge because you don't know i mean the reality is like that's the crazy part is like you you create these values and then the chaos of business surrounds you and then so you're trying to like hold up a business you know manage a million stresses and initiatives and also be true to a value system you know and so when you're looking at like okay preserving the business accomplishing goals and values like most people are like, yeah, the one that I can, if I only have two hands and I need to carry three things, the one I'm going to leave on the ground is the values. But unfortunately, like, you know, then don't create a value statement and be like, that's not what we're in it for. But if you go through that effort, then you're, you know, you're really required to figure out how you hold three things with two hands.
Yeah, um, entrepreneurship, as much as anything else, has probably as uh, many unanticipated twists and turns. Um, so it's uh, you don't expect to hold three things with two hands. Um, you don't really plan for it because how does that really occur to anyone? But then um, you know you've got to uh, like I kind of like I was saying before, make that good faith effort when you discover that's the reality to figure out a way to do it. Um, yeah. That actually kind of spurs another question I hadn't originally thought about, but I would like to know. I mean, has there been anything like really like that just kind of blown you away and just like I did not expect that to happen or to just be a part of this entrepreneurial journey? Ooh. I mean, there are just um, I mean, there are moments that when you have these wins, um, either individually or collectively as a team that are so euphoric that I don't think you can expect like I don't think you can even plan on understanding what that feels like. So I think, and, and sometimes it's crazy little things. Like I, I remember, um, like, uh, I will never forget, like the, the very first time we got an order for a pallet full of cookies and that just felt like life changing. I mean, I remember seeing down with our team at the time being like, you know, how like, planning through how we're gonna make one pallet of cookies, which in hindsight is like ridiculous. We sent out like, you know, like, hundreds of pallets a week now and we're producing like so many but it it's a, so such a special moment to remember that um similarly i remember when uh we had a little segment on a local abc channel and it like blew up our amazon sales and i was having dinner with my co-founder and his wife and we we're sitting down at the table and it's we we're about to eat dinner and like all of a sudden our phones are just going beep 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 which is like every time we were getting an amazon order and it was like the most euphoric feeling to be like, oh my God, people are buying and it's like, it's early stage. And, and so those moments you'll never forget. And they just sort of like dig themselves into your DNA and then fundamentally change you as a person. So I think that's, uh, that's probably some of the most exciting things. And then, you know, just again, the people, I just think I've met some of the most wonderful, wonderful people along the way. Uh, and I feel like my network of people and my personal self-awareness has changed tremendously since running a business. And so the, the extent to which you can really celebrate the little wins and all the friends you make along the way are kind of the um, definitely very positive, unanticipated um, yeah, yeah. occurrences that have happened. Yeah. As That's much awesome. as you're like, I want to get out of this moment and build to the next thing. You become very nostalgic as soon as the thing passes. We're like, oh, remember the days when we were in the kitchen scooping cookies, even though in the days when you're scooping cookies, like most of the time you're going, I can't wait till I'm not scooping cookies, you know, but, but knowing that like it's the little things that you will remember, I think is important. Yeah, it's like Bill Gates and all the other tech billionaires that were like, oh, remember when we were in the garage making all this? But when they were in the garage, they're like, man, I really can't wait till I'm a billionaire. <laughs> I, know, I, know. I know. It's the it's the craziness of the human psych, right? Like why we do that, who knows? But but it I think it's if anything, it teaches you like what you already said. I think earlier you said this, like you have to kind of uh appreciate and enjoy the moment. Doesn't mean that you can't desire or wish to grow out of it. But you have to take moments to sort of appreciate what's around you at the time. Um, otherwise, you'll never find happiness because you're always looking for the next thing. Yeah, absolutely. And they're so fleeting. If you don't value them kind of in the moment, it can be hard to truly appreciate them ever. So, yeah, um, excellent point. Um, so, uh, you know, opposite of that, like looking forward, I guess, what's kind of on the roadmap or the next step for you guys? Yeah. So for us, it's about kind of looking uh 
beyond just like well, who are we as a as a business beyond just selling a few skews of cookies like if we look to position ourselves as a, as a national snacking brand in the better few industry um what does that look like additional product lines um, additional distribution and scale uh, we're really focused on e-commerce right now we've had a lot of success in that channel in the last year since COVID hit uh, so we're really focused on um, how do we have a unique consumer experience from beginning to end um, the moment they start engaging with our brand. Um, and uh, those are kind of our focuses for now. So really that e-com channel, product expansion, um, and positioning ourselves nationally in, as a category leader in the space. Cool, man. Sounds like some really exciting times coming up. And um, I can't yeah. wait to see everything you guys do. Never short of adventures. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, I just really have one last question, Robert. I mean, you've been through so much. You got so many. Um, you, you got a lot of exciting uh, things ahead of you. Uh, do you have any, you know, parting words of wisdom or advice for fellow entrepreneurs or anyone who wants to get started with their own venture? Oh, man. I mean, I would say like some of the things I said before, which is like, you know, don't make every don't put every so much weight in every moment like ride the wave instead of fight the wave i think that's really really important i think i've spent a lot of my early years trying to fight the wave instead of going let me ride the wave and control my direction <laughs> but i can't really control the size or the patterns of the wave you know so i think that's kind of uh one of the most important things um it's i think you get a lot of like follow your dream which is important but also be realistic about what it takes to execute on a dream it's like you cannot if you're going to engage in entrepreneurship you have to be equally as willing to accept the challenges and the hardships as you are the thrill of what it means to start and lead your own business and i think don't be blind to that and then the last thing would be like don't underestimate just how many how much resources are required to start a business. And again, that's not just money, definitely money. I mean, it's starting a business is capital intensive, but that's also people and time. And so you're on a constant quest to obtain more resources than you will ever have. <laughs> so I would say that that's those those three things are probably from my perspective, the, the, the most critical. And I say these things having failed and continuing every day to fail at them and always trying to get better at them. So I'm not in any way, shape or form coming in as authoritative as authoritarian here, who's like mastered this. It's about these are the constant challenges you face. And I think every day you just try to get a little bit better at each of them. Well, I'd say having experienced, you know, some failures that does kind of that makes you somewhat authoritative on these matters since a failure, after all, is one of the best teachers and something pretty much every entrepreneur can expect to run into. So yeah. um, it's definitely given you, um, you know, a lot of wisdom to impart. And I appreciate you sharing, um, you know, your candid thoughts. Um, Robert, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a blast talking to you, learning more about Maxine's and um, Maxine's Heavenly and your uh, particular experience. And I, for one, cannot wait to, you know, try some of those double chocolate chip cookies. They sound amazing. <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the time. It's great talking to you and I, I appreciate the candor. Absolutely. Best of luck with everything and really looking forward to seeing everything you accomplish. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate the time. Take care. All right, bye. Podcast highlights.
Robert's entrepreneurial journey and all of its twists and turns. 0.56 All about how Maxine's makes its exquisite treats. 6.42 Robert's background and how he found his calling. 10.29 Robert's experience with his team and thoughts on the importance of teamwork. 16.10 Greatest challenges and how the team at Maxine's overcome them. 24.25 Robert's favorite thing about being an entrepreneur. 28.36 Robert's favorite cookie. 32.10 The importance of values and the challenges of living up to them. 35.33 Unexpected things that have happened. 38.55 Up next on the roadmap. 40.12 Words of advice for entrepreneurs.